0: Our lives present challenges and triumphs. Triumph Talks. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Grateful everyone is here. I am Brian O'Shea. Triumph Talks, talking on all the triumphs we experience in life. I'm so honored today to have a great leader, healer, thought leader, inspiration point, and collaborator of mine. And I'm just so grateful. Amanda Copland is here. So grateful. So grateful.
1: I'm grateful to be
0: here. One of the first things I was thinking about was you helped me so much when I was facilitating those workshops on compassion fatigue and we had great fun. You brought some of your great pals who had family offices and that was great fun (laughs) teaching and collaborating with you and co-presenting with you on the idea of compassion fatigue
1: yeah that was an incredible workshop
0: all the better that you were there and one of the things that i remember at that point in your wonderful consulting work your work was focused helping people in the eating disorder world and i know your work has expanded very broadly beautifully in all behavioral health coaching and consulting But perhaps it's a safe place to start off. Please talk a little bit about your work, your early years, your coaching in home for the eating disorder population, please.
1: Yeah, I think... I think my work really started back when I was younger, as it does for most of us, where oh, yeah. we start with our own families and ourselves. <laughs> and so I, I myself struggled with an eating disorder. And I would go in and out of the treatment professional offices and come home and sometimes feel worse than when I went in because you spend an hour talking to somebody and opening all this stuff up and then... Okay, it's time to go see you next week. Like suddenly you just close it up and that's that's what it is. But um, I would go home and I really felt like if the people were there when I actually needed them, my life could look a lot different and my problem wasn't happening in their offices. I would talk about it uh, either retrospectively or looking forward of what I could do. But you know how it is when your amygdala is hijacked and you're in that fight or flight stage, you just can't really remember what it is you were taught or you're so distressed that you can't utilize it in the moment. And so it just felt like this vicious cycle. And, um, you know, that thought alone, if they were there when I actually needed them, then my life could look a lot different. I, you know, I really utilize that to build this uh, social enterprise, Copeland Consulting, to provide that gift to other people. Because as we know, early intervention is everything. And when you can stop somebody's symptoms, when you can address the true issues, it changes their whole trajectory moving forward.
0: So true. So true. Copeland Consulting... I know I have collaborated with you in different cities and different people. And Copeland Consulting is national in its reach and in the population it helps. And Copeland Consulting, in many ways, was a bit of a groundbreaker to bring this in-person, in-home help.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm always thinking about how we can make ourselves more of outliers. So not only do we use people that are counselors or doctors or uh, psychologists or dietitians, really specialized people, but I also got them trained and certified as hostage negotiators. I have heard families again and again talk about how they feel like hostages in their own home, and uh, if you think about it, everything in life is a negotiation you say, I want to use drugs. I don't want you to use drugs. We're negotiating. You don't want to eat. I want you to eat. We're negotiating. You want to kill yourself. I don't want you to kill yourself. We're negotiating. So if I I knew that if I could teach my team to be the best negotiators in the world, then we could get further than anybody else. And a lot of times you hear clinicians cop out and say, oh, you're just not motivated. But think about it. You can't do that in a hostage situation, right? You can't say to a hostage taker, look, you just don't seem to be motivated. When you are motivated, you come back and you let me know. Like, that's just not an option. And I think that sometimes people forget that it's not a crime. It's a crisis. And if you could start to see it for what it is, then you can hang with someone through the crisis and move them through it.
0: So beautiful. So beautiful. Copeland Consulting, so beautiful. My great mentor and teacher, who you know I always talk about, Heather Hayes, was the first interventionist I knew that got FBI hostage negotiator training and call outs with the FBI and throwing in the throw phone, the whole thing, it it makes perfect sense to me that two of the greatest women I know both are schooled in hostage negotiation. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm I'm very uh, I'm very proud that you held me at the same level as Heather.
0: Oh, absolutely! You're two That's of the a great. You're two of the great women. Absolutely, no question. No question. I know you've done a lot in California. I know you've done a lot in Chicago. But remind me some of the other places where you do a lot.
1: Um Florida, the East Coast like the tri-state area New York, Connecticut, New Jersey. Um and then just scattered randomly throughout the nation. Wisconsin, Kentucky, Yeah, it
0: just varies. Beautiful, beautiful. One of the things that I find interesting and important for me to know about, that idea of body dysmorphia, would you be kind enough to talk to us a bit about that? Yeah,
1: so... A lot of people think body dysmorphia is when you don't see your body accurately. Um, I think that is a very, you know, uh, popular myth. The The truth is body dysmorphia is a, a very specific focus on certain areas of your body. So it could be like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Perfect example. He had body dysmorphia when it came to his calves. He never felt like his calves were big enough and he was hyper fixated on them, always trying to make them bigger, always, um, you know, talking about how he left them exposed so he could see them in the mirror and hate himself so much that he'd work harder. That is a perfect example of body dysmorphia.
0: What would you say is a valuable book for someone to read? to have the beginning of an understanding for a loved one who is struggling with their relationship with food and with their body?
1: That's a great question. I always tell people to read Carolyn Coston's book, The Eight Keys to Recovery from an Eating Disorder. I think that not only does it give a good understanding of the issue, It gives a great understanding of personality traits. It gives a great understanding of skill sets and how to utilize them. And it helps people get on the same page with being able to understand the issue and move forward accordingly.
0: Beautiful. And could you say that book title and author again, please?
1: Sure. It's the Eight Keys to Recovery from an Eating Disorder. By Carolyn Costin, C-O-S-T-I-N.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. And my favorite that I could easily understand is Making Peace With Your Plate by Robin Cruz Harrington. That somehow just kind of landed for me. That's a
1: good one, too. You know, I don't know. I don't know if you know this, but um, it's Suicide Prevention Month, which I'm sure you know. But eating disorders, anorexia nervosa specifically, it, it has the greatest mortality rate of any mental health issue. And people who have this disorder typically die either by suicide or because of medical complications related to the disorder.
0: Please talk a little more about that Suicide Prevention Month. Please talk about your knowledge about this, please.
1: Well, I I can absolutely do this because I actually did two news interviews this morning on suicide suicide statistics and prevention, but there's an attempt every 26 seconds. (sighs) What I hear is every minute, there are multiple opportunities to step forward and intervene. And what I found out in doing my research is that 78% of people who died by suicide, they were asked very specifically about suicidal thoughts the week before they died, and they denied it. And so if you think about people's feelings of guilt, of shame, of stigma, of fear that they might be locked up or, you know, some bad thing happening uh, either to themselves or other people. They don't, they don't ask for help. And so what I'm really, really pushing is that whether you think somebody is struggling or not, you make sure that these resources are in front of them so that they could reach out to a stranger who is trained in this area Versus feeling like they're a burden on their family, their colleagues, their friends, and they can get the help that they need um, immediately. And, you know, you you and I both know uh, the stereotype, the depression, you know, it's like the person laying in bed and whatever. Sometimes it's the high functioning person that's performing, that's checking in on everybody around them, that is the rock, that is the fixer. And sometimes when you're the fixer, you think that the only way to fix a situation is to take your own life and take yourself out of the equation. And it's just not what needs to happen.
0: That's incredibly important. And help us a little bit. What is a way to get those resources in front of them? You know, give your old Bronx-born Brian O'Shea some simple tips. (laughs) So it's,
1: you know, it's easy enough to give someone the number 988 or a hotline number if they just want to talk to somebody. But a lot of people need care, not just an ear to listen. And so uh, I have the urgent care mental health business where people could, sign up and get appointments with a psychiatric provider on weekends and after hours so that they don't have to wait in a crisis or wait to to have it escalate to an emergency. And most psychiatrists have a three to six month wait list. If you're in crisis and you go to get on a wait list, your crisis can't can't wait three to six months. People are dead by then Um, or they're in the emergency room. And so being able to provide somebody a resource like urgent care mental health or connect them with a therapist or connect them with a psychiatrist, you know, it's like that is the thing that matters most because think about if you are hemorrhaging, calling a hotline isn't going to help you much. (laughs) You need to go to the emergency room so a doctor could stop the hemorrhage and with mental health, Just because you can't see the hemorrhage doesn't mean it's not happening. And I think that's the more dangerous thing.
0: So talk to us about that. You have a resource. You have, please talk to us more about that. Expand on that. Color that in for us.
1: So Texas, I don't know if you know, but Texas, 97.6% mental health professional shortage areas. So, I mean, when I read Mental Health Professional Shortage Area, I I thought to myself, what does that mean? How do you define that? And what I discovered was that these areas are defined as 30,000 residents per one clinician, 30,000 per one clinician. One in five people struggle with a mental health issue. The math isn't mathing, right? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. And so a lot of people are going without care. Because they can't get in. Um, But with urgent care mental health, whether you're in rural Texas or whether you're in a city where you just can't get in somewhere, you can go on UCMH.com and book an appointment so that you don't have to wait. Like you can sit in our virtual waiting room and wait to get in. But when you're in a crisis, every moment that you're just waiting sucks. So I always tell people, make an appointment so you know you can count on it. And you can make it for that day, that evening, you know, the weekend, whatever works best for you. Um, and you know, go and and get the the diagnosis, the assessment, the treatment that you need will bridge the gap until you can get off the wait list for the long-term provider. And then you just move forward.
0: So say that again slowly. UCMH, to say that again slowly for us.
1: UCMH.com, Urgent Care Mental Health.
0: And tell us a little more about that. Tell us the whole thing. I'm very fascinated by this.
1: So Urgent Care Mental Health is meant to fill the gap in mental health treatment and access to care. By providing psychiatric appointments on demand after hours and on weekends, because crises can't wait for office hours and neither should solutions.
0: So true. How long have you known about them or been collaborating with them?
1: Well, so I actually, my partner and I started it in
0: June. (laughs) Oh, it's yours. Okay, it's your thing. Gosh, you're old pal. I've been too out of touch. Forgive me, friend. Forgive me.
1: That's okay. That's okay.
0: And remind us who your partner is, please.
1: Do you know Amara Durham?
0: Yes. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How wonderful. How wonderful. So this is a very emotional and very real mission for you.
1: Yeah. I mean, right now I am really pushing this thousand lives thousand family campaign um, because my goal is to reach a thousand families Um, who need mental health care now because if you think about there's a suicide attempt every 26 seconds some people aren't going to make it to the holidays to be with their family and I want to make sure that everybody has a seat at the table and no one's missing because I actually have family members who died by suicide and I know what it's like to have someone missing at the table and I want to make sure that other families don't have to experience that.
0: So say that again for me, the Thousand Lives, explain that, color that in for me a bit.
1: So A Thousand Lives, A Thousand Families is this campaign that, that we created um, to reach a thousand people in Texas who need mental health care now. And so because we're a social enterprise, um, you know, some of the people were able to scholarship, some of the people pay but our goal is to make sure that the people are reached, that the care is equitable, and that people are at home with their families for the holidays because they got the treatment they needed when they needed it, and it didn't escalate to the point that they had no other solution but taking their own life.
0: Wow, what an honorable thing. What an honorable, honorable thing. And is there a website where... Professionals can volunteer and help?
1: Uh, I mean, everybody could volunteer by making sure that this is in in the hands of the people who need it. You can follow us on Instagram, UCMH underscore crisis care. I'm running it. And I think it's a party um, with very informative (laughs) things that come after the party. But we're trying to be entertaining to get out to the masses and have people engaged, but also really informative so that people understand the issue. If, um, you know, you want to talk to us and figure out how to work with us, you can email us at info at UCMH.com, or you can reach out to us through our website at UCMH.com.
0: How beautiful. So say that Instagram address again, please.
1: UCMH underscore crisis care.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. <clears throat> now, speaking of family, how is my dear friend chicken, the dog?
1: She sat on the balcony, barking at the passers by patrolling the neighborhood and keeping everyone safe and saying hello.
0: San Antonio is safer with chicken, the dog at the helm
1: that's right nothing gets past chicken
0: <laughs> <laughs> truly one of the most beautiful dogs going sure. so you're you really have always been one of my most consistent cheerleaders pals loyal friends and yeah so i i want to uh, offer for you today it's an interesting thing. I got sent some photographs today. Many years ago today was the day I was in the hospital paralyzed and my brother was sitting next to me and there was a photograph on Facebook that reached over, I don't know, six or 7,000 folks from the recovery community sending it out to each other. So uh, it's, it's interesting. Triumph talks and you know, you uh, were always very loyal to me and helping me kind of recover from being paralyzed and moving forward. But it's it's interesting. I didn't yeah. realize today was the day of of that f- picture. You know, my whole left side was paralyzed.
1: Yeah, I remember it, it was this time uh, of the year because... It was Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Yes, it was. And we spent uh, we we spent that time together, the Jewish holidays. Yes. And um, I remember being with you in the hospital.
0: Yes, my friend. Yes, yes. It's so powerful for me. There's, I've been so blessed in my life with my Jewish community that adopted me in childhood and. The Bronx, in Long Island, in Los Angeles, living with my father's boyfriend, with you, and the strong Jewish community uh, in Jackson, Mississippi, where I live. You know, I'm very lucky, very blessed.
1: You are an incredible human being, and I could not be more more blessed to have you in my life, to have that time together, those memories that we created, because at the end of the day, that's what life is about. It's not about the big things, but the little moments with each person. And I am forever grateful that I have those little moments with you.
0: I am forever grateful, my friend. I'll be coming to see you and chicken soon. I'll be coming to see you and chicken soon. We would love that. So tell me also now, consulting has broadened yes it's not specifically only eating now you because i know you've helped me with families with a family member with some broader challenges
1: yeah yeah we work with people struggling with addiction with eating disorders with uh, autism with behavioral health with Um, schizophrenia, bipolar, you know, everybody needs help. Just because you have uh, one disorder over another doesn't mean that you don't struggle in your transition home.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. And how is it for you lately? Sometimes I know you are traveling a lot.
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, fortunately, fortunately and unfortunately, I'm uh, not traveling so much. I'm traveling once a month, but a lot of what I'm doing right now is speaking. I'm doing a lot of speaking on the mental health issues um, pertaining to lawyers and trusted advisors. Mm -hmm. And um I just, you know, I, I speak with an estate planning attorney and he and I just really are passionate about bringing awareness to this. And, and I don't know if you know, but lawyers are six times more likely to die by suicide than the general population. And so this is a really dire issue. And um, I think that when you are playing superhuman and supposed to have all the answers and you're living in a toxic culture, it could feel impossible to escape it. And so we're trying to really do something to change that. And to be honest, I uh that was not a direction I saw myself going so much, <laughs> but he was very passionate about this and needed a mental health professional on board. And I just uh I got on board and started writing his coattails. And it turns out every single group wanted to be able to play our webinars or have us speak because They know that this is an issue, but they weren't even sure how to start the conversation or what to do next. So I'm really grateful and blessed that I've had that opportunity to help a whole population of of people that I probably wouldn't have touched without this estate planning attorney.
0: Your life is always so filled with meaning, and I have had the blessing of Presenting at the judges and lawyers in recovery in four different states in the South. And it is profound, the pressures that they live on. And it's kind of interesting. We're back to the first paragraph of our beautiful visit today. We're back to compassion fatigue.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, I think,
0: go ahead, go ahead.
1: Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, I think, you know, I heard one lawyer describe it um, like imagine being a doctor and you are sewing up the bullet holes and doing surgery And there's someone actively stabbing your patient who's on the table. (laughs) And that's what it feels like being a lawyer, because what the documents you create, you have to imagine somebody else tearing them apart and um, living in such a combative world um, could feel really isolating and uh, really deteriorating for some of the more connective values like, um, like collaboration, um, like goodwill, um, you know, doing things for other people, because in that world, you're always waiting to get ripped apart.
0: And it's the dialectic again, the high functionality person. Yes. Very high functionality high IQ highly professional highly proficient highly successful and needs help it's the dialectic again mhm mhm and society of course when you are successful doesn't tell you feel free to take a break feel free to pull over and heal yourself society just says perform 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 and that's from the leadership of your corporation that's from your partners that's from general society they don't say pull over and take a break maybe you're tired you know if you if you were successful X times last year, then we need X plus 10% this year.
1: That's exactly right. And I think, you know, whether it's spoken out loud or just a silent expectation of the culture, when everybody else looks like they're performing under the same levels of pressure and toxicity, the question is what's wrong with me that I can't.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. That's profound. That's profound. A lot of my work lately is about finding meaning. And I was very moved, and it's good I had these glasses on, so my tears weren't obvious. But when you said so beautifully about the important moments in our friendship, Finding meaning in connection, finding meaning in family, and family for me, you are family to me. You are very much family to me. There's no genetic connection, but you absolutely are family to me, and I think you know that. I hope you know that. So family, finding meaning. I do, and I hope you know the same. Oh, I know, I know. I would never hesitate to call you. But that idea of finding meaning, you know, I've been studying a lot of that lately. And it's interesting looking at that. And when I offer that question for us today, you are a life of meaning, truly, my gosh. When you are helping people who Perhaps the family pressures, the business pressures, the life pressures, they don't have meaning. What are some of the ways you address that?
1: I think that it's very much our struggles that build our strengths. And I think when you're a wealth builder, you forget that you love what you have because of what you had to put in to get. Get that. And the inheritors um, or the children of those people, with every good intention, the parents try to remove all struggles and obstacles in their way. And it takes away from that character building because we're most proud of what we worked for. And if we never had to work for anything, then we start losing meaning in life. We lose this sense that we're capable, we lose this sense that we're okay, we lose this sense that our life has value. And so I think being able to remind parents that struggling isn't bad, that struggling is what makes life worth living to a certain extent, right? Like nobody wants their kid to to be traumatized, of course, but um, letting them go out to flounder so that they realize all they need to do is stand up. That is the best gift that you can give them.
0: It's so true. As a family coach, as a family consultant, as an interventionist, I love when I am working with a family and they say, Brian, yes, we are a family of high net worth. And the children know they're going to cut lawns, they're going to work, they're going to save. They're going to come in with $1,000 that they make, and then we're going to help them buy a car. They don't just get the car. And I love those families that have turned that corner.
1: Mm -hmm. Have you ever read the book, Raised Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise?
0: Oh, yes, yes. You know, I'm inspired by by Melissa Blair Blitch, the wonderful uh, families, families in business, families of high net worth. Uh, what a tremendous thought leader she is in that. And she recommended that book to me. Melissa Blair Blitch of, uh, yes. you know, she's by that where, where they have the fancy horses. I forget where that is. But, um, yes.
1: Yes, I know her. Oh, there you
0: go. No no surprise you two would know each other. And uh, (laughs) she's the one who told me that book, and, yes, it's an important book. (laughs) Well, my friend, what would be the closing message for you? What would you offer us today? I think in light of
1: Suicide Prevention Month, I would say that it's not about a Suicide Prevention Month. It's about suicide prevention, period, and that connection, resources, and normalizing struggling so that people don't feel like they're the only ones out there that can't make it. I think that's the most important things we could do, and those things alone could save a life.
0: Beautiful. And remind us again, please, the emergency care, remind us the name of that.
1: Urgent Care Mental Health, and you can go to UCMH.com to access urgent mental health care on demand.
0: Beautiful. My dear friend, it was so beautiful to be with you, and here we are again in the holidays, and it's so perfect. And... It is very perfect. It is. It's just so, it's beautiful. it's beautiful. We have to get to one of our brunches. We have to, we must talk girls. We must talk. <laughs> um. <clears throat> so yeah. I want to invite everyone to come back to Talking Triumphs podcast. I'm so grateful to be here. And Amanda, thank you so much for taking time for this old friend. Thank you so, so much. And I want to invite everyone, please come back to, Talking Triumphs, Triumphs Talking Podcast.
1: Thank you so much. Recording stopped.